Hey, welcome to Biohacking with Brittany, a podcast focused on holistic health, nutrition, biohacking, and more. I'm your host, Brittany Ford, registered holistic nutritionist and self-proclaimed biohacker. During the last 10 years, I've focused on healing my gut and hormonal issues through lifestyle changes, nutrition, and of course, biohacks. And now I teach others to do the same. I'm so excited you're joining me today. So let's dive right in. Great. So another episode of Biohacking Brittany. Welcome, everybody. I'm super excited for you to be here, as always. Um, Today's a bit of a different episode. It's very new. It's a new topic I haven't really talked to anybody about. Um, It's a lot about AI and technology and the role it has with our health, which is very much like in the biohacking field. And I have on with me Dr. Greg Wells, who is a scientist and a physiologist and is started this new company. It's an app called Vivio. Um, and it's basically a holistic health app, which is really cool because everyone knows that I'm super into holistic health. So yeah, Dr. Greg Wells, welcome to the show. Brittany, thank you so much for having me on your show. I so appreciate it. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, we definitely are. So I read that your app is the world's most advanced lifestyle app. And that's a pretty big title. So I would love for you to kind of take us a step back and really just walk us through how you created this app and your history and your background. Uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity. I am a physiologist, love studying the human body, but that all started back when I was a young competitive swimmer and uh, was training in, in Florida and unfortunately broke my neck in the waves, body surfing and ultimately recovered, came back to competition, but that sparked my interest in human physiology. So I then went on to do a kinesiology degree and then a master's and a PhD and did biomedical engineering and a bunch of other stuff and ended up being a professor. And a few years ago when I was in my lab, I looked around my lab and I saw a whole bunch of people doing these physiological tests. I saw, you know, five different PhD students doing their thing. And I just happened to read an article about Apple watch and wearable technology. And I was like, man, that's the future. And if I don't do something around that, I'm going to be quite upset with myself because I love technology. I'm super interested. And then just a week after that, I saw um, a grant that was available from the Movember Foundation, which is a men's health, you know, wear a mustache for November, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put in a video application to them. They funded it. So we were able to get it up off the ground. And what we did was we tried to create an app that would enable us to look at the areas that we think are really important for human health, which is sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset. And to be able to gather that information from your wearable device, run it through an algorithm to give you individualized recommendations about what you need to do today to get better. So it's sort of like using artificial intelligence to help you and help you know exactly what you need to do, eliminate some of the confusion about, you know, what should I be doing? There's so much information out there on the internet. Sometimes I think it's a bit overwhelming. And so we wanted to be able to just give people what they need on a daily basis to get better. Right. So how does it actually work in practice? Like, are there notifications that tell you to do certain things or like, what does it look like? What we did was we designed it to primarily right now work on Apple Watch. And so if you've got an Apple Watch or if you have an iPhone, then what it does, it collects your physiologic data. So if you're wearing the watch when you sleep, for example, it will collect your uh, accelerometry, how much you're moving. It'll collect your heart rate. It'll collect your heart rate variability, which is how much your heart rate changes throughout the course of the night, which can give us insights into whether or not you're in deep sleep, light sleep, or REM sleep. 
so we can score how well you're sleeping. That's the foundation. Cause I think if you sleep well, that opens up the possibilities for making good decisions around food or getting in a good workout. And also it's related to your mental health. Then when it comes to exercise, we built what I, and as an exercise physiologist, I was like, I need a really good workout tracker. So we built in um, a workout tracker that does GPS accelerometry and all sorts of other ways of tracking the quality of your, your workout. So basically an, the ultimate workout tracker that I could create heart rate, stuff like that. Uh, we then looked into heart rate variability as a way of looking at stress. And so we built in a way that for example, if you put your finger over the camera at the back, it will shine a light through your finger and using the flash basically. And, and you'll be able to track your heart rate variability to get a sense of how stressed you are. And then you can input the food that you eat. We run all that through an algorithm. We score all four areas. You get a score for eat, sleep, move, and think every day. All that gets aggregated into your overall video score. And then we give you a tip once a day based upon the results that you've gotten that day. So there's only one notification a day and it's just the information that we think you need to improve your health as much as you can that single day. That's really cool. I, I really like that. Um, so I use an aura ring right now and I'm sure you know what that is. Um, and the heart rate variability is very interesting. And cause I, I'm very like into data and like testing myself and quantifying myself in order to be healthier. Um, and it's interesting because I thought that more things would impact uh, HRV than stress, um, such as like going to bed later or eating right before you go to sleep. But I find time and time again, if I am stressed, it doesn't, the rest of that stuff doesn't matter. Like my HRV will be so much lower than normal. Or if I am not stressed and I stay up later or I eat right before bed, my HRV is still fine. So it's so interesting how the heart is so tied to our stress. That's just like me thinking this week and my HRB, HRV's kind of been all over the place. So I've just been watching it. Um, but it's really cool that your app tracks that as well. Yeah. I have an aura ring as well. I'm like obsessed. So I've got, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I have way too much technology on my body, but, um, I, I think the aura ring has done an incredible job and, um, you can, you can use a whoop, uh, device mm -hmm. as well. They're pretty good at heart rate variability measurement. And I think the really interesting thing to understand about heart rate variability is that if we think about it, and I'm a physiologist, so I always go into the human body. So your brain operates, you perceive information from the environment. You then make a decision in your amygdala structure inside the brain as to whether or not that information that you're receiving is a threat. COVID-19 headline, for example, boom, goes into your brain. Is it a threat or not? If it is, we increase our sympathetic nervous system activation. So information goes flying down through your spinal cord to get you ready to run or to fight. And all your organs get ready to run or fight. So that means your heart rate increases, your, you start breathing harder, your liver dumps sugar into your blood to make sure your muscles have energy to fight or to run. Your muscle strength improves. Adrenaline gets released into your blood. So all sorts of really cool things happen that enable you to run or fight. But part of that is the drive to your heart. So the nerves also from your brain also connect to your heart. And so if you're stressed, your heart rate will beat harder and more rhythmically. So if you're stressed out, for example, your heart will go beat, 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 beat. It's very structured, very rhythmical. Uh, and there's almost no variability to it whatsoever because there's so much drive from your brain. When you're relaxed, when you're calm, when your other nervous system is activated, your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest, recover, regenerate nervous system is activated, then you basically don't have the same amount of signal coming down from the brain. So the heart relaxes, your lungs relax, your liver stores 
um, sugars, instead of dumping them out, your muscles recover and regenerate. Um, the hormones change, obviously, but your heart relaxes. And so your heartbeat will be beep, 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 beep. Like it's all over the place. It's highly variable when you're relaxed. And so we can actually get a read of that. You can get a sense of your sympathetic to parasympathetic balance and know whether or not you're stressed. And you are absolutely correct that your stress level, your heart rate variability is so closely related to your sleep. I think everyone can probably identify with that, right? Like if you're working right up until the last second and you try to lie down in bed, your mind's just going to be racing. You're not falling asleep. Or if you've had a super difficult day, like there's been, you know, something happening that's stressing you out or, you know, you're worried about an older parent in this COVID time or whatever, who knows. But if you're stressed out, you might wake up in the middle of the night with your mind racing. So there's an absolute connection between how stressed you are during the course of the day and the quality of your sleep, which then affects your entire health outcome. So the key for all of us, I think, with regards to wearable technology and whether it's Aura, whether it's Vivio, whether it's Whoop, is that you're getting a sense of your own physiology so that you can learn about yourself and make some course corrections and adjustments so that you can maybe be a little bit less stressed or you can eat a little bit better or you can sleep a little bit better and ultimately your life will be totally different as a result. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Do you know um, what your HRV was last night? Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. <laughs> so I've had like the the two nights ago, it was horrific. Last night, it was great. So two nights ago, it was fifty three milliseconds, and that's like mm-hmm. no variability whatsoever. And then last mm-hmm. night, it was actually up about one hundred and fifty plus. Wow. So it was actually really, really good. And the quality of my day yesterday versus today is like just shockingly different two days. Like yesterday I struggled all day long and I had a really busy day. It was just a, a battle. Um, today I had a, actually a much less struck, you know, busy day, but I crushed it. Just got a ton of stuff done. I feel amazing. So yeah, those were my numbers that I got over the last little while, but it's kind of been a little bit all over the place, um, lately just because of the variability of all the stuff that's happening in my life at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mine last week, like similar, just like not in a good headspace, um, was I think like in the 60s, 70s. Last night, mine was, my average was 99. I think it went up to 130. Um, but I think my highest is like one, 140 maybe. And I like, I don't, I don't even know if that was my average. I can't believe your average was 150 last night. That's like so high. My goodness. Yeah, it was really good, but I was also quite tired and I had a really good night routine last night. Like I actually mm-hmm. did a run at around six o'clock at an amazing dinner with my family. I've got two younger kids just like totally connected, Aww. did a little bit of meditation afterwards, actually took my dog down to the beach <laughs> and like it could not have been more perfect yesterday. So Aww. that's probably not actually, you know, <laughs> representative of the normal way of getting through life. Um, but had an amazing day yesterday. And so I slept fantastic last night. Um, but there's been other days lately just because of, you know, business restructuring to become more tech focused or, you know, who knows what you read at night that may have set Mm -hmm. you off or, um, you know, who child wakes up and it disrupts everything. So I've Mm -hmm. actually, even during meditation, gotten my heart rate variability up over 200. So I know that there's actually a pretty big spectrum of what humans are capable of. Um, We also may be averaging differently than Ura. So I may get more, um, I think we get a little bit less averaging than Ura does. So we may get higher and a bigger range of values than Ura does. So that might be the difference in our data. Oh, interesting. Just in the way that we're processing it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, last year in the beginning of 2019, when I first started tracking HRV uh, through Aura, um, I was astonished at how much alcohol impacts your heart. And it was probably what I needed to really move away from drinking. Not that I was drinking that much at that point anyway. Um, but my HRV after I drank alcohol is like 50s, 40s, 30s. It's so bad. Like, and and I like I just feel so bad when I look at my scores the next day. And it's really been what like I've really stopped drinking um so much because now you see the data, right? And and you make these healthier choices because it's there on your phone and you want better scores. It is so scary when you start to actually look at the effect that alcohol has on your body. Mm -hmm. um, when I was growing up as a competitive swimmer in the late 80s and early 90s, I mean, it was very much a party culture in high-performance sports back then. It was like who could train the hardest and party at the same time and still make it to morning workout. And I look back at that now and I'm just shaking my head at how much faster we all could have been. And I had friends that broke world records. It wasn't like they were slow. So, but right. still there was so much more potential there. And even five years ago, I remember we went to climb a mountain in Ecuador and we were at base camp one night, all my testing equipment with me. And one of the things we brought with us was blood glucose monitoring. And I finished a huge yes. training day. It was eight or nine hours and looked at my blood glucose. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was fairly low. And one of the locals offered me a shot because I was really hurting. I was shivering and stuff like that. I was like really slightly hypothermic. I was in pretty rough shape. And he offered me a shot of their local um, liquor, which up in the Andes, I don't even know what it was made of, but it was pretty strong. Mm. Um, so I took a shot of, of this, this booze <laughs> and felt instantly way better. Um, but then I also did a blood sugar measurement and it was like four times as high as it was just minutes before. So the impact wow. that alcohol has upon us is quite profound. And you mentioned the effect of it on your heart. Um, mm -hmm. I had a heart infection a few years ago in 2012, um, viral myocarditis, problematic. But now if I have anything to drink, my heart hurts. So I, that, that sort of triggered me stopping drinking in general overall. I hardly drink anything now. But we've done some looking into the effect of alcohol on sleep. And what we've discovered is that when you have pretty much any alcohol at all, like one or two drinks or more, it wipes out stage two, three, four, deep sleep. So we have REM and stage one, two, three, four is different types of sleep. REM being when you dream, stage one, stage two is light sleep. Stage three, four is deep sleep when the brain washes itself out. And when we have something to drink in the hour or two before you fall asleep, it literally stops your brain from being able to get into that deep restorative sleep when the glial lymphatic system comes online to wash out tau proteins and amyloid plaques and all the waste products from the course of the day. And so it really does negatively affect your recovery and regeneration of your brain and obviously the rest of your body. Because when you sleep, you produce growth hormone and all sorts of other hormones that regulate most aspects of your physiology. So you're right in noticing that alcohol does you very few favors. So if you're going to have something to drink, make sure that it's with very good friends in a very good social environment over some very good food. And if you're going to have some wine, life is too short for bad wine. So have a good a really good bottle, but do it as little as you possibly can because it does have a, a pretty massive effect upon you. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I've definitely moved to more um, occasional basis uh, now. And especially with COVID too, like with the lack of friends and family around, there's really even less point in drinking because I don't know. For me, it's a social thing. So um, if that aspect isn't there, I, like I'm not going to drink by myself, you know, on a Friday night type of thing. So in terms of um, like other drugs impacting your heart though, like 
what about cannabis or that impacting your sleep? So fascinated by that right now. Um, I think that, you know, cannabis is being legalized in Canada, the U.S. and other places around the world, parts of the U.S. and other places around the world. So it's on everyone's radar. I don't think that we have a great amount of research yet on the effect of cannabis on the body. I, I sort of view it as a population level experiment with almost no data. Although I am totally against the war on drugs, I think it was an epic failure. And having traveled to countries like Colombia and Peru and seeing the damage that the war on drugs has done to those countries, I'm totally in favor of legalization. But I do think that it was a mm. decision made with almost no data about what it does to us as humans. However, we're going down the road and it is what it is. So if we break cannabis down into its components, THC, which is the psychoactive component and, and CBD, which is the non-psychoactive component. THC has some very powerful effects upon the way that the brain works. And there's some research being done on what that does to our sleep. Um, and I think the answer to that one is we just don't know at this time. Mm. I've heard many different anecdotal stories. Um, and so we just don't, we just, we just don't know on the CBD side. I think that there's some very interesting research that shows that CBD has potential to have some anti-inflammatory characteristics, which could be great because inflammation is mm -hmm. associated with cancer, heart disease, type two diabetes, depression, Alzheimer's. And so if we can lower inflammation in our bodies, that's fantastic. There's also some really interesting research on CBD and, and melanoma, but that's very early stage too. Um, so I think that the answer to that one is, is the jury's out. There's lots of research being done right now, but it's quite conflicting at the moment. So I wouldn't be comfortable saying that one, uh, either THC or CBD, you know, positively or negatively affects sleep. I think the answer at this time is we don't know, but I think in a year from now, we'll have a much, much, much better idea about how all that works. Cool. Yeah. I look forward to that. I look forward to seeing, uh, the positive effects or the negative effects. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. And so for your app, what, like, why did you decide to make it so holistic? Like, what was the, what is like the real goal and motivation behind that? I wanted to make it really holistic for a couple of reasons. The first one is, is that I don't think the human body and brain work in compartments. Uh, I'm a physiologist and I think that if you look at the brain and the body and the heart and the liver and the kidneys and the lungs, the skin, your bones, your muscles, like it all works together. And although in medicine, we've sort of broken them all apart into cardiology and respiratory medicine or endocrinology, that means that we've unfortunately, I think been sort of put into silos. And even if you think about like mind and body, they're considered to be separate, even though we know that the brain is connected to everything in the body, your brain's neurologically connected to your immune system. If you're stressed, your immune system doesn't work very well. Like we know all of these things. So I'm a huge believer in a holistic approach to health and well-being. I think that all organ systems inside the body work together. And similarly, when we, when we come up to our lifestyle practices, I think that our lifestyle works together. We know that, for example, if you get a great night's sleep, you regulate leptin and ghrelin. These are the two hormones that control your appetite and satiety, how full you feel, basically. And so if you get a great night's sleep, you feel pretty full the next day And if you eat, whereas if you get a bad night's sleep, pretty much doesn't matter what you eat, you're going to be hungry and you're still going to want you know, to go back and, and look at the fridge again. So we know that sleep affects the way that we eat. We also know that if you eat healthy food, that you're going to have more overall sensations of energy, which means that it might be possible for you to do a better workout. If you do a better workout, we know that that positively influences depression and anxiety, making it better, more likely for you to have better mental health. If you have a better mental health, you're going to sleep better. 
And so I call that the ripple effect. It's the book that I wrote a few years ago uh, that did really, really well. And I think it's because I think it did really well because it was a holistic approach that it covered the four areas that we think are important, sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset, showed how they integrate and positively or negatively affect one another. And I think that when we work on all the areas, your life gets better. If you do them in isolation, I think that's one of the reasons why, for example, if you only work on a diet, that it doesn't work very well because you're ignoring sleep or you're not focusing in on exercise. Or if you only do an exercise program, it, maybe you don't stick with it because you're not addressing the mindset of consistent training. So I think that when we look at everything together, together, that there's some really good possibilities of us making better decisions more consistently that ultimately really positively impact our life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so for holistic health and which is part of the reason I got into biohacking. Uh, I'm a nutritionist, but I just found that only looking at nutrition and supplements really wasn't enough in order to, uh, try and reach optimal health or be healthier. Um, and I really had to start looking at like stress and sleep and lifestyle and exercise and these other things in order to feel better. Um, and that's so sweet that your app literally provides all of that data for a person. Um, and that's what we need, right? So in terms of like moving forward with AI and technology and health, like what are your, what are your predictions in the next five, 10, 20 years. Like, what do you think if we were, if we were going to have a podcast episode together in 20 years, what do you think we would be talking about? I'm so glad you asked that. And I, I love visioneering. Um, first of all, I have no idea. Like, I, I don't know what's happening next week in this current world. Like if you think about the plans that we had in January of this year and where we're at now, like, obviously we have no idea what's coming at us, but I do know that humans can adapt I'm very hopeful for our species. I know that we can overcome obstacles. We've got some huge obstacles obstacles to overcome. You know, meta-wise, I think we've got some obstacles around racism that we have to address. I think we've got mm. huge obstacles around the health of our planet that we need to address. And I think we have some obstacles around um, our overall holistic health as humans. But I'm very, very hopeful. I know that we can make these changes that are necessary. And I know that if we do so, our economy is going to be better. I know that our health and well-being is going to be better and our happiness is going to be better. And I'm, I'm very, very hopeful that if we were to do this again in 20 years, that we would be in a very different place than we are today. And I think that with regards to artificial intelligence, I think the data is pretty clear that when humans work with artificial intelligence, that that's more powerful than humans alone or AI by themselves. And so we've got an artificial intelligence algorithm built into um, Vivio that basically looks at your data, runs it through that algorithm and gives you individualized recommendations, which is cool because now we can take, uh, I think we've got 500 recommendations built into the app that are based on the books, the podcasts, the speeches I've done, but you know, we can take all of that information, cut it up into 500 little pieces and give it to thousands of people on a daily basis based upon what they individually need. Like there's no way I could ever do that by myself. But if I mm. couple what I've done over the last five years, all of which was recorded, put that into an app with an AI engine driven by someone's individual data, you can give someone exactly what they need. Like how cool is that in terms of actually helping people? And that's my mission in life is just to help as many people as possible. I love I love it when I get an email from someone saying like, hey, Greg, I read your book and you know what? I'm feeling better because I did what I, uh, I sleep better now. It makes the means the world to me when I get that type of feedback from people. So the fact that we can do this at scale is just so super cool. But my hope with regards to AI is it's going to help us understand nutrition a lot better. 
I think that with regards to overall technology and wearable technology, I actually think that we're beginning in the beginning stages of a human tech merger. If you think about it, we all have a phone on our bodies at all times. Many of us have wearable devices on our bodies. That's that's only going to increase. I think privacy issues obviously need to be addressed to keep that data from fueling, um, you know, just being used simply for other organizations to make money. And obviously there's some problems around the way that social media is working right now and those algorithms. But um, I do believe that technology will make our lives better. I think that technology has the potential to help us solve this climate change epidemic or climate change crisis that we're in. I think that technology plus humans and all the science that we have now can help us overcome this, you know, sleeplessness that affects 25% of our population. I think that if we fix our nutrition and food system, which would require a fairly significant change that we could actually help the 58 to 68% of North Americans that, and other, you know, other countries around the world that are struggling with obesity we have one in five people that have a mental health challenge around depression and anxiety. I know that we can certainly help people get support that they need on an individual basis more efficiently and effectively if we leverage technology and the expertise and knowledge that we have. So I think that there's tremendous potential for all of this. And we're at the very, very, very early stages of it. There's obviously huge problems that we need to overcome. Privacy, for example, um, but I think that I'm very, very hopeful. And I know that the world, I, th I know that humans are highly adaptable and I think that the future is going to be better. And I'm really hopeful that we can contribute to that. All of us, you know, one little tiny percent at a time to move ourselves as a species in the, in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's hard to kind of pinpoint where we're going to go, obviously, because this year in itself, like you said, is an example of us really not knowing what's going to happen. Um, but do you see any downsides of this, of this merger that you're talking about, um, such as like radiation or EMF or anything like that? I think that there's tremendous downsides. You know, we just need to think about scrolling mindlessly through social media to look at some downsides of technology, yeah. right? Like we know that if you engage in social media, that it can have a very positive impact on your mental health. If you comment positively on other people's posts, if you passively consume social media, it has a negative effect. We know that the algorithms um, in these social media uh platforms don't prioritize our mental health. They prioritize selling advertisements. So mm. it's extremely problematic when technology is not used the right way. We also know that privacy issues with regards to your own personal data. And I mean, the reality is you and I both are, you know, we were wearing Ura rings, we've got phones. So our heart rate data is in there. Our stress levels are in our phones. Like they know everything about us that can be used to our benefit if we're trying to help people, but it can also be used to our detriment if we're not um, trying to you know, altruistically make the world a better place. Um, I also know personally that if I'm looking at my devices too much that I don't sleep very well, so they can't be around me uh, when I'm you know, sleeping. I don't wear my watch and I don't use Vivio every single night to track my sleep, but I do probably about once a week just to get a sense of where I'm at. But I know that if I che checked it every single night, I'd get obsessive about my numbers and that wouldn't serve mm -hmm. me either. Mm -hmm. um, and I certainly think that there is some interesting research, very, very little on EMF uh, and its effect upon the human body, but very, very little. The little that I have seen is not encouraging. Uh, so I am concerned about that. For example, we do turn off the Wi-Fi networks in my home at night. I don't sleep every night with a device on me. 
Um, occasionally I will, but most of the time I do not. Uh, I'm very concerned about not um, allowing my children to use cell phones and certainly not to put them up next to their heads. There was a really interesting study that I read a couple of years ago when I was writing The Ripple Effect that looked at uh, the production of anaerobic metabolites, so lactic acid basically, in uh, brain cells close uh, in the space around where an individual was holding, the, the individual test subjects were holding cell phones up next to their ear, and it showed an increased production of anaerobic metabolites in and around the space in the brain close to the ear near where the cell phone was being held. And which is interesting because lactic acid, if you think about it, when you're in an exercise perspective, is the metabolite that gets produced when you're, for example, running really, really hard and your metabolism can't keep up to the energy demands of the activity. So if that's happening in the brain right next to where a microphone, microwave radio is being placed, um, that was concerning for me. And so I, I generally try not to have devices near my brain and body. body. I try to keep them off off my body at all times. Um, but I, I think that we're very, very early stages of knowing, um, about that. I've looked for the research on PubMed. There's not a lot there. I'm trying to keep track of it and get a better sense of it as it comes out. But I think that that's definitely something that we should be watching pretty carefully. But I also think at the same time that if it was 20 items on my list of things I wanted to prioritize with regards to looking at my health, that would be, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 ish. I think that eating healthy food, eating organic, getting exercise every day, getting in nature, getting a good night's sleep are infinitely more powerful as positive impacts on your health than EMF exposure might be as a negative factor. Although, you know, be, you being into biohacking, you probably have a better sense of that than I do at this point in time. But I think the research is quite limited, but I would encourage everybody to definitely keep an eye on it because we're going to learn a lot over the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I've been um, looking into the research on EMF and reproductive health and fertility in women. There's quite a bit of research on it. Well, quite a bit. There's a little bit um, on it for men, but there's less for women. And the research I have found has indicated how it can delay ovulation and it can uh, impact like miscarriages and all these different things. And like really just not optimal for like your ovary health and your fertility health. And of course, I'm sure as you know, like infertility is increasing. Um, in our society. I think it's like one in every eight couples now will struggle with infertility. So that I find very interesting, but it's just like the cannabis research, right? Like it's so new that it's really exciting to be in this time. Um, but we definitely can't make full conclusions yet because we just don't have the data and it's just hasn't been long enough and we need more studies and more funding and um, but I think it will come. And I, and I think over the next 10 years, I definitely think we'll be able to make more conclusions about it. I hope so. I mean, Judith and I struggled pretty massively with um, having kids. So, I mean, we've got two beautiful children now, but it was a process that I, I, I'm i going to, I'll just throw out there and say it was excruciatingly difficult, far more so mm. for Judith than for me. But um, it was, it was very, very hard. So I'm hypersensitive to fertility issues now and mm. what many, 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 many couples go through, uh, trying to have children. And so I think that the exploration of that is worth considering. And, um, I also think it's interesting that we need to be aware that there may not be the drive to do the research, right? So research mm. is typically funded by someone. And so, um, 
we, I think that hopefully people will continue to do the research on these areas to ensure that, that the, the radio frequencies that we're exposing ourselves to are safe for humans and that we determine what the, uh, what the effect on our physiology is from being exposed as we move into a hyper-connected world. So I think that it's definitely something to keep your eyes open on and to uh, eyes open to and consider it, consider as we move forwards for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of, you know, before we had these devices that really tracked, um, ourselves and, and gave us data and feedback, you know, a lot of us used to rely on intuition and, 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 you know, we still do. So I kind of do both a bit. So like with my aura ring, um, you know, it gives you the readiness score and sometimes it's accurate and sometimes I feel better than that. And sometimes I feel worse. Um, so I just kind of go with how I feel more, but it is really helpful. So like, how do you, like, where do you draw the line between intuition on your body and like tapping into yourself and the data that your app can provide? Oh my God, Brittany, that's such a great question. Um, I think that it's so important that we pay attention to ourselves. Like we are using our, ourselves as a laboratory and these devices just give us information and the information doesn't consider the entire human experience. You're wearing an Oura ring, which looks at heart rate variability, but heart rate variability is just a surrogate, right? It's brain down the spinal cord into your heart, your heart's responsive to many, many, many different inputs. And so using that as the only variable that determines whether or not your brain is completely recovered and regenerated through the course of sleep is it's, you know, it's probably one of, I don't know, a hundred thousand factors that influence how we feel. So if you wake up during the day, what we used to do when I was working with the national teams uh, and, and working with athletes is 30 minutes after you wake up in the morning, you just ask yourself, how am I feeling? And that can give you a really good readiness score that's pretty highly correlated with what you might get from an Oura ring and probably is more accurate in terms of what you're actually capable of doing that, that, uh, doing that day. Another thing that I do quite regularly, especially with triathletes, is I ask them to do workouts with no technology, like put, to put away the heart rate monitor, put away the power meter on your bike, and just go for a run or just go for a bike and don't know how fast you're going. Don't know what your heart rate is. Don't know if you're in zone one or zone two or whatever, just go on ride and feel your body. And I think that that's really, really important for us to do now more than ever as we become technologically uh, integrated. And I'm, you know, I've got an app that measures all your physiology. Like it would be in my interest for people to wear Apple watch every single day and track their data on Vivio every single day, like that would benefit my company. But I think that there's a time and place for that. And there's also a time and place for us being totally disconnected from technology, get into nature, enjoy the workout, enjoy the experience. Think about the sensations that you're getting from your body. How are your muscles feeling? How's your breathing feeling? What's happening to your mindset as you do the workout and do that in a completely undistracted way. Um, I think that can be very, very powerful for us. Much like, for example, if you were reading a book, there's a benefit of reading a hard copy book, and but you can also read them on your iPad or whatever other device that you're using. The challenge with the iPad or the other device is that it's quite possible to get distracted by an email or a notification that comes in, which makes it harder for you to engage in the story and allow that story to get into the neurons in your brain to create a different world that you're actually thinking that you're in for a little while. So there's definitely a time and place for doing both. I think that life enables us to experience so much and we can experience 
so many different ranges of things from sensations of food through feeling tired one day and doing a workout or feeling energized one day and doing a workout or feeling anxious one day or feeling excited another day or depressed one day and, and happy another day. There's a spectrum of what humans are capable of experiencing. So I would encourage everybody to think of life as, as something that we can experience and try to experience every single thing that life has to offer. And some of that is getting deep into tech and getting deep into your data to biohack your, your physiology and your health to ensure that you're living the best possible life. But then there's other times where you definitely just want to put all of that stuff away and just have a great meal and, or maybe just go for a great workout or go for a walk in a park or go for a swim in a lake. Like there's many, many different things you can do. And I think a mix of both is probably the way to go. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a mix of both. Um, and continuing to use both over time, right? So, you know, just like the Aura Ring or any app or anything like that, you can get so obsessed with the data and rely less on yourself um, and forget to tap into yourself. And I think it's it's great that you said that because I wasn't sure what you were going to say, honestly, because like you said, it, it's like your best interest for us to really be more data focused. Um, but it's probably the best interest of our health to be more balanced about it. So I, I definitely agree with you. You know, mind, mindfulness meditation might be an example, right? Like you can use a Muse headband to measure your beta, alpha, and theta brainwaves and get a sense about how you're doing in your meditation and get the audio feedback through your headphones about the rain, which shows that you're in beta and the, um, the birds chirping, which shows that you're in alpha or theta waves. Like that's great for learning how to meditate. But then at some point, you're going to have to put the Muse headband away and just sit there and observe your own thoughts. And the headband is not going to help you do that. And the feedback through your headphones isn't going to help you do that either. So there's definitely a place for the data and that device teaching you how to meditate, what the feeling of calming your brain down is. But then you're going to have to step out of that and continue to do the work to really get the benefits of that training. So I think that might be the best way for people to think about it. even Ariel Garten, who's been on my podcast and designed the Muse headband and you know was involved in the science of creating that. She said, like, sometimes I use Muse, but sometimes I don't. I just meditate. So I think that that's probably the best way for us to think about it is it's a tool to use at certain times so that you can learn what you're doing, make the necessary changes, but then put the tool away and just live your life and experience it to the absolute limits of what you're capable of and be fully present and aware of your own mind and your own body. And I think that might be the best way to experience life and to use this new technology. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's the goal <laughs> uh, is to create that balance. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Uh, where can people find you and how can they connect with you? Brittany, you're the best. Thank you so much for letting me talk to your audience and share the work that we're doing. I'm honored and privileged to have this opportunity. And I really want to honor all the work that you're doing, sharing your journey and you know the, the how far you've come and the knowledge that you're gathering and the people that you're connecting your audience to. So um, congratulations. And I think it's really, really cool. I'm honored to be here. So if anyone wants to connect with me, all my social media are at Dr. Greg Wells and my website's drgregwells.com. If you want to check out the app, it's Vivio, V-I-I-V-I-O, and the website's Vivio.com, and we'd be honored for anyone to check it out. The base version's free, so you can totally use it, no charge. The pro version gives you the daily tips and historical data, so if you want to upgrade, that's awesome, but if you just want to use the base version, it's free. Give it a shot. See what you think. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I will definitely link all of that in the show notes um, and in the blog posts and everything so everyone can find you um, and on social media too. So yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Have a great day. I really appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, feel free to screenshot this episode and tag me if you'd like me to respond. I really hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. If you have a question about your health, my DMs are always open and I'm currently taking new clients. Thanks and see you next time.